All right. Well, the, the blessing is ours to live next to the Hendersons, and hopefully the Henderson name will live on at that house for many generations. Uh, I do have my wife with me, Danielle. She's here, so if you want to uh, give your greeting to her, we have uh, a great... She loves that. Yeah, I won't ask her to stand. Um, we have four children, um, one married down in Danville, uh, two, and one's about to finish her grad degree at UK, uh, one's a sophomore at UK, and then one's a senior at Tate's Creek High School and will graduate this May. So we're about to be empty nesters, so we're, we're eager for that. Um, I'm more eager than she is. <laughs> I'm on the clock. Y'all got to hurry up and get out. Uh, she's crying about it. Uh, about losing them. So, all right. If you have your if you have your Bibles, um, I'm going to use two passages to kind of kind of launch off. We're going to talk about Jesus as the Prince of Peace uh, tonight. So, uh, obviously, we'll look at Isaiah nine six and seven, and then Luke two eight through fourteen. So, if you want to turn there, and uh, as I was praying for you in the last uh, several days and thinking about this, uh, t- today sort of crystallized to me what. Why talking about peace is both critical uh, during this time of year and, and maybe at all times during the year, but also very difficult. For, for example, uh, tonight we, we, we were talking with my mother-in-law about one of our cousins who is probably going to be deployed uh, for the umpteenth time. As a, 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 He's a general in the Marine Corps, and he's going to go somewhere in the world that we don't know. And the idea that he's going to go be uh, an agent of peace to probably somewhere in the Middle East is both comforting and um, deceiving, right? Because as, as we know, world peace, when one country brings its power over to bear to another country to bring it peace, is just a different kind of oppression, right? It's not real lasting peace because there'll still be unrest. There'll still be war. So even the fact that my cousin is going to go be an agent of peace, and I praise God for what he does, it's not real peace. It's just for now, right? There's going to be a ceasefire until someone else wants to start shooting. Uh, this afternoon, my wife and I went and visited one of our, one of our really close friends that, that's been at our church. I'm a pastor at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church, and our folks would love to give you their greeting. Um, but one of our long-term members um, is, is dying and uh, went into hospice care a couple of days ago. And he's, he's a, a true saint. But we were there, and he's in that gargle stage where his breathing is labored and his heart. But, and they're giving him morphine shots over and over to make him be at peace. It's, it's not really peace, though, because if he didn't have that medicine, his body would be raging against him and his disease would be overtaking him. So... His real peace isn't going to come until he ends this battle here and goes and has that eternal peace. But there's a semblance of peace in the medicine and the the care that those hospice nurses just are amazing people that care for the dying. But it's weird, right, to talk about, is is my friend really at peace? No, not yet. He's, He's got medicine in him that causes him not to hurt, but he needs to go on and be with the Prince of Peace. So that's awkward. And then this morning I had a conversation with a young lady who yesterday had a very difficult battle with some intrusive, dark, call them satanic thoughts. And she spent the whole day raging inwardly about this spiritual warfare. And her parents prayed over her. I was praying all day. Her husband was praying. And I went over there and saw her today, and she was at peace. She had come through that moment. 
But she said, I know those intrusive thoughts are just waiting right there. It's not real peace yet. It's there in some degree. She's comforted to know that she made it through that dark night, dark day. But peace is something that's strange to talk about. And so my, my guess is, is you are somewhere in that spectrum of experiencing peace in some way, uh, yet knowing that it's, it's fleeting, uh, waiting for your ultimate peace, and we'll, we'll talk about some of that. But then I also know there's another group of people that is living, and I, I, don't, I don't know y'all well enough to, if this is you, but in a group this big, this probably is, people that are just kind of coasting through life and saying, peace, peace, as the prophet Jeremiah said, and there really is no peace. You've found solace in money or relationships or addictions or a host of other things that really aren't true peace. And the moment that gets disrupted, the attacks on God, the attacks on God's people, the attack will come because your peace got disrupted. And so if that's your case, then I think we're going to have a, an opportunity to, to kind of look at the prince of peace, which is an interesting dichotomy. Uh, sometimes before I preach a sermon, I like to ask my family, if we're sitting around the dinner table, hey, what do you think about this passage that I'm doing or this topic? So I asked, I asked my family over Christmas, what do you think about the, word, the, the phrase prince of peace? And my son-in-law, who's a cattle farmer down in uh, Danville, has 400 cows, and is a wonderful theologian. He said, the Prince of Peace sounds like a contradictory statement. I said, John, do tell more. He said, because when a prince comes into town, it's highly disruptive. He's a prince. He's usually got some sort of military association. But he's the Prince of Peace. And I said, John, that's exactly what I think Jesus is about. He is about peace, but his peace is highly disruptive. And we'll, we'll see that tonight. So I, I am praying that you're going to be disrupted tonight, that the peace of Christ is going to disrupt you in a way that you'll go find lasting peace all the time in the Prince of Peace. That's, that's, that's where we're headed. All right, so let's read our passages, and then, uh, then I'll, I'll, I'll dive in. So first, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You can just hear the language there. This is a very uh, governmental, rule, do dominion, regal, kingly, kingdom-oriented language. This, this son that is going to be given, this child that is going to be born, is going to be a ruler. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. I mean, his, his rule is going to be pervasive, and that pervasiveness is going to be one of eternal peace. Amen? That's who he's talking about. All right, so that's the eschatological Jesus that we all long for. Now let's see the babe in a manger. This is so comical that our faith is this full of, of dichotomies, that you can have this glorious picture of an eternal ruler in Isaiah 9, and the next passage I choose to use in a sermon on peace is about a baby being born in Bethlehem. All right, let's read it. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear, great fear. And the, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. So right here, in the birth announcement of Jesus, he says, peace on earth, goodwill to men, or peace to those whom God is pleased. All right, so let's, let's, let's talk about this peace. Um, a, f- a few weeks ago, uh, the, 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 uh, the, s- the state of Cal- uh, Colorado has been in the news for lots of different kind of court cases, but one that, you know, if you're into politics, you know about pretty pretty extensively, but there's a second one that came out where they uh, voted something very controversial, but highly intriguing. The, um, they did a Democratic vote, ballots, to uh, vote whether or not to introduce gray wolves back into the ecosystem of uh, West Colorado. How many of you heard that? A handful. Good on you. This is, this is inst- now, this is a very controversial thing because the same thing happened back in 1995 in the Yellowstone ecosystem. They reintroduced a pack of wolves, and the idea, and, and I have, I have uh, ecological friends that say, eh, I'm not sure this is a great idea because you know, what it does to the cattle and the people in Montana and Wyoming are like, oh, hey, Colorado, like, time out. They're going to eat all our cows. Get it. But this is, this is, the, sup- this is the presupposition. That by introducing an apex predator that had been extinct. So in, in West Colorado, the, the gray wolf had been extinct since 1940-something. So 80 years later, they reintroduced this apex predator. And the idea is to realign uh, the trophic cascade, the food chain, so that the ecosystem would be balanced again. Because what had happened is deer or elk or some sort of, you know, highly reproductive and overpopulating species was overtaking the land. And, and therefore, vegetation was a problem. And, and you can go Google this and watch. The, the, it's, it's fascinating to hear some of the, you know, the hyper-ecological uh, effects that some say happened in, in Yellowstone. Was They even say the, the rivers started changing their meandering once the... The trophic cascade got right because bushes started to grow better and trees were more full and the bears came back and the hawks came back and the beavers were building dams, on and on and on. But the point the scientists are making is by introducing an apex predator back into the system, the system actually right-sizes itself. The ecosystem fixes itself. It becomes healed. It becomes balanced. And I've watched that video a hundred times because in, in lots of leadership environments, it's such a great thing. We, we, have a, we, have a, we have a new woman on staff at our church, and I tell Rhonda, I was like, Rhonda, you are the wolf that got introduced into the ecosystem of Tate Creek Presbyterian Church, and I want you to eat away, girl. We need so much balancing here in our church, and she's bringing it. Uh, she's bringing that. But then I started thinking about that, this passage here, the greatest apex predator of the, of, of the world Jesus Christ was introduced back into the ecosystem that had become overgrown with sin and thorns and thistles. What's, what's, the, what's the hymn? Uh, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. 
So you talk about an overgrown world. Our world is overgrown with unrighteousness and injustice and sin and uh, stealing glory from God. And God sent his apex predator, his one and only son, into the world to right-size, to bring balance, to bring health to his ecosystem. This is the prince that has come. God's kingdom has come to earth. If the earth is ruined with sin and the oppressive regimes of other rulers, then it would be highly disruptive for the prince of peace to come to that world. So just like it was highly disruptive to the life of the elk and deer in Yellowstone or West Colorado to have the wolf come in because the wolf is going to eat away that stuff that is overgrown, to have the prince of peace come to earth by nature has to be disruptive. It has to unsettle the pervasive false pieces of the world. Um, at, our, at our church, when we have young children that, that want to, uh, that, that say they're ready to profess their faith, um, we, we, we have various ways we, we do that, but one of the things we've done is we've, we've held some form of a, like a, a communicants class. And so the last, uh, in October and, uh, I'm sorry, November and December, we held four of these classes. And we basically just did, week one was creation, week two was fall, week three was redemption, and week four was consummation, the new heavens and new earth. And so in the last one, one of our other pastors, one of our young guys, he, uh, he came and he, and he did the consummation, the new heaven and new earth, and he brought with him a bag of McDonald's french fries. And the smell was like we were all dying to eat them. Uh, and he had it in his bag, and he broke, he broke out the french fries, and he handed, there was 18 kids in the class, and he handed each child, uh, and they ranged between the age of 8 and 13, one french fry. He had the whole bag, and he handed one. He said, here's a little taste of heaven. And he, here's a little taste of heaven. And he went, and, and you can imagine the frenzy of these kids, like, they were like, I don't want one french fry, I want the whole carton. Because if you, you can't just eat one McDonald's french fry. Right? It's like the whole Lay's potato chips. You can't just eat just one Lay's potato chip. And, but his point was this. This is what we experience on this earth at times is a little taste of heaven. But that little taste causes us to long for the whole carton. And so at times when we experience peace or, or we experience the disruptions of things that I thought would bring me peace and it doesn't, it is a clue that the Prince of Peace is trying to disrupt you or alert you, hey, there's something greater than that one French fry. I got a whole carton for you. And it's a kingdom that will have no end of peace. And he quoted, he quoted two C.S. Lewis quotes. And I'm going to quote them both and give a little commentary on them. The first one that he quoted was this one. He says, a baby, this is Lewis C.S. Lewis, a baby gets hungry, well, there's such a thing as food. A duck wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. If I, human, find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, that most probable answer is that I was made for another world. Think about that. If you have a desire now that this world cannot meet, it probably means you were made for a different world. And I think that's true for us as we struggle with peace. I, if you struggle, as I do at times, to find peace on earth, it probably means you were made to experience that somewhere else. And I think that's one of the messages. So the angel said 
to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. The second quote that he read, and you've probably, you've probably heard this one before. This is again Lewis. He says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So this is the other side of the peace coin. Perhaps you're looking for peace, but you're looking for it in all the wrong places. You're looking for it in ways that are uh, temporary, ways that are unsatisfying, ways that are not eternal, ways that are worldly. As I quoted before, the prophet Jeremiah said to the people of Israel, you are saying there's peace, peace, when there is no peace. The the peace that Jesus brings is a disruptive peace. Let's consider this for just a second. Let's, Let's do this in three ways. One, the disruptive nature of his birth. Then the disruptive nature of his life. And then lastly, the dis- disruptive nature of his death and resurrection. All right, just real quick. Consider the disruptive nature of his, of his birth. Um, just take Mary and Joseph. How disruptive to their life was this baby? Mary was, what, 14? Uh, she was betrothed, which means engaged, and she's pregnant. Yikes. Cultural controversy, confusion. She's pregnant with the Holy, by the Holy Spirit of a baby that is going to be the prince of peace. Their lives were highly disrupted. Take the shepherds. They're just out, what, is the, what does the scripture say? Tending their flocks by night. You know, they're just minding their own business. And whammo! An angelic announcement comes to them. Hey guys, I bring you good news of great joy. And lots of people have commented on why God chose to announce to the, to the most outcast group of people on the earth the birth of the Prince of Peace. I mean, you have to just laugh at a divine comedy that that is. That God chose a shepherd group uh, to say, hey, right down there is my Prince of Peace. The cosmos itself was disrupted that evening. Um, you know the story of the wise men. There was men in the east that saw a star from where they were, and they were experts in astrology. They saw this star that they knew meant something regal has been happening or born in another part of the world. We have to go. And, they, and, the, and the, the Bible tells us they went on a two-year journey just to figure out where that star was supposed to be originating out of. And it landed, as we know, over Bethlehem, and it landed over the Prince of Peace. So the cosmos itself was declaring the peace of God had come. This one's tragic. King Herod gets word that these men from the east had come, and in his paranoia, he has every two-year-old in that region killed. I thought this was the Prince of Peace, yet two-year-old babies are dying His peace was disruptive. He was born into a region that was under Roman authority. If you've studied any of world history, you know you've heard of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. 
Well, this is what one historian said about that piece. Rome and its Caesars had bludgeoned every foe into submission. (laughs) There was peace, but it was a dark peace. And no man or woman or boy or girl could say a word against it without fearfully looking over his or her shoulder. It wasn't really peace. It was like I mentioned before, it was the oppressive rule of some other outside force. But this is the peaceful night that the Prince of Peace was born into. Occupied land by an oppressive government to a people groping around in darkness. And yet a light has shone, the prophet Isaiah said. And he is the Prince of Peace. So his birth was highly disruptive. What about his life? We only have three years of his life. And without much argument, you could say it's the most disruptive life that's ever walked the face of this planet. In fact, he even said to his disciples, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, wait a minute. (laughs) You're the Prince of Peace, but you came to bring a sword. Right, because what you guys think is peace down here, your little family gatherings, your little bank accounts, your vacations, your education, your military power, it's just not peace. And I'm going to come and bring a sword of divide to that so that you'll know and understand what true peace is. He had confrontations. Listen to the confrontations he had. First, he had confrontations with the religious leaders. They were telling people, if you, if you mark off this checklist, if you tithe this much time and mint, if you do this, that, and the other, and all this, you will have peace. And he came and he had sharp confrontations for the self-righteous. If you think that those religious laws are going to bring you peace with God, you haven't understood the nature and depths of your sin. So he had these intense conversations, confrontations with the Pharisees. He had confrontations with the demonic powers. He told demons to come out of people. He cast them into pigs. He had confrontation with Satan himself. This Prince of Peace had confrontation with the cells of the human body. He told the lame to walk, the blind to see. The lepers were healed. The dead were raised to life because the Prince of Peace had authority over The human cell. He had confrontations with Rome. He told Pilate. Pilate said, I I could have you killed right now. I said, Pilate, listen, buddy. Like that. I could have a legion of angels. And this would be over. The self-restraint of the Prince of Peace at that moment was, was pretty astounding. Jesus showed us what a righteous wolf would do in an unrighteous ecosystem. Let me say that again. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who's one of eternal righteousness, showed us what a wolf of righteousness would do in an unrighteous system. You know it's unrighteous that you have cancer. You know it's unrighteous that babies die. You know it's unrighteous that there's miscarriages. You know it's unrighteous that there's pornography. You know, you know all of this is unrighteous. It's not right. This is not how God intends for his ecosystem of kingdom flourishing to be. And he sent his... Prince of Peace to alert us that we may trust him. Ultimately, they killed the Prince of Peace. <laughs> Think about that. A Prince of Peace was killed by the people that he came to bring peace to. So lastly, the disruptive nature of his death. As you know, when Jesus died, the scriptures tell us the cosmos again reacted. The earth went dark. It quaked, 
the rocks shook. The creation itself recognized its maker on the cross. Uh, You know that in the temple, the place where they had put the, the holy of holies, where the presence of God would be, there was a curtain that kept you and I out of there. The unrighteous could not go be with the righteous. The unholy could not dwell with the holy, so there was a curtain. But in the death of the Prince of Peace, that divide which separated you and I from God was torn down. Now we have peace with God. Judgment of God was accomplished. And then this Prince of Peace died and rose again. Death itself was disrupted. <laughs> death itself. Death is not your end. The, 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 the apostles, as they would write later, told, told us that people were asleep. What? My friend Rick is going to die tonight or tomorrow. But according to my Bible, he's just going to sleep for a little while. Because Jesus has overcome death. The Prince of Peace disrupted death. So friends, um, if you're experiencing disruptions in your life, disruptions of health, disruptions of children, disruptions of money, career, relationships, it could be that this is a portal that God is trying to open for you to real peace. What would it look like if we asked that question this season, this new year. What if a, you know, the, the, we didn't read verse 15 of Luke 8, but Luke 8, 15 says that the shepherds got up from hearing that angelic thing and went to see this thing that had been announced. They moved towards the prince of peace. They moved into the disruption. They didn't flee the disruption They didn't back away and try to figure it out on their own. They leaned into the disruption. That's what I want to encourage you as the church of Christ to do. If you're feeling that disruption, lean into it. Because Christ is trying to open up something to you. And there's two ways that he could be doing this. One is at a macro level. We've already talked about this a little bit. But the macro scope of this piece. Think about just the the messengers that brought this to earth. They're called angels. Now, if your picture of angels is Hallmark-ish, and it's a fat, chubby, white kid with a diaper and a harp, you're probably missing it. Because what every time an angel would appear in Scripture, what was their first two words they had to say to the person they were visiting? Don't be afraid. That was three, but fear not, right? Two or three words. Like if a fat, chubby white kid comes in, I'm not afraid. I want to go grab it and cuddle up to it. And if an angel came in this building right now, none of us would be cuddling up to him. We wouldn't because they're warrior messengers. That's who announced the birth of the Prince of Peace. It wasn't someone cuddly and cute. It was someone with intense power and authority. In fact, in in 2 Kings chapter 11, one angel with one sword killed killed 185,000 Assyrians. Friends, when the Bible tells us that at a macro level, the birth of Jesus was announced by the angels, it gives us understanding why he's called the Lord 
of hosts. This is the commander of the Lord's armies being born into our world. It was a heavenly invasion. He came to disrupt every ecosystem this world had built because it is overgrown. So don't be bullied to sleep. Don't be lulled to sleep by politicians who claim to bring you peace, by home builders who claim to bring you peace from a little suburban neighborhood, financial advisors who claim that nest egg will give you peace for the longevity of your life, religious leaders who claim if you just did this and this, you would have peace. Don't be lulled to sleep by that. Wake up and hear the Prince of Peace saying, he alone can give you the peace you desire. In fact, this has always been the case the preamble to the Ten Commandments, you know, where it gives us the Ten Commandments, the four, that this is how you relate to God. Six, this is how you relate to each other. The preamble to that is, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the, of the house of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That was the, that was the hand motions we used with our kids when we taught them that. Friend, listen, your, your ability to keep these commandments is because you're already free. These don't give you freedom. You're already free. I brought you out of slavery. Now, here's how you should act. That's always been the case. You are free. You are at peace. Why? Because, God, you have peace with God. So at a macro level, this year, would you be willing to ask what injustice, what brokenness, what darkness could the Prince of Peace be asking me to move toward in the world? But biblically speaking, and and you know this to be true, macro things always start at a seed level, right? Right? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that is the smallest of all the plants. But when it's full grown, it's a, it's a macro kingdom. The way things work, even in our own life, if I want to do something here at a macro level for justice or righteousness or sin, problems in the world, it's got to start here in me. And so there's a micro level of this. Many years ago when my, my sister and I were uh, 10 and 12, I was getting out of a car door this way. And I thought she was going that way. And so I just got out of the car and I just shut it like that. And she had her hand in the door frame trying to pull herself out of the car. And the door shut right on her hand. And it shut in such a way that we couldn't unlock it, nor could we you know, unlock it with a power thing or put it. The only way we could engage the door mechanically to open it was to shut it fully. All right, you're all cringing. You cringe when I first said it was a hand. Now... Now, yeah, we had, to, we had to risk crushing her hand to get her free. And again, this is like the wolf illustration. I've thought about this in so many ways. But this is, this is a great picture of how many of us in life think. Think. Think, think about if I had said to my sister, Pam, I know you're stuck. I know you've got a problem in your hands, and I know it hurts. But you, you can make peace with that situation. You can just stay in the backseat of this car the rest of your life. We'll bring you your books for school. We'll bring you a TV. Uh, we'll, we'll bring you some food. You can actually get married back here in the backseat of this car, and you can have kids back here, and you, know, and you can have a peaceful life in the backseat of this Buick. All of you are like, that's dumb. Just take the chance of breaking her hand. That can be fixed, and then she can be free. So why don't you just push the door to, and she's free. And that's what we did, obviously. We pushed the door. Thank God it didn't break her hand. It just kind of hurt it for a few months. Now my sister lives in Wilmington, North Carolina, has three kids, a boat, of a, a highly successful real estate. She's not in the backseat of a car. She's not at peace with her situation. But to be free meant some disruption, meant some pain, some difficulty. 
And, and I've thought about that a lot, that what I think is peaceful is really just me trying to do life in the backseat of a car with my hand in the door jam. When if I were to press into that disruption that I'm feeling, that unsettledness, that conviction, that challenge that I'm having, it could be a portal to a beach vacation in Wilmington, North Carolina with three kids and a you know, successful business. You understand the story. And so my, my, my thought to you is what, what sin what relationship, what decision, what sacrifice is the Prince of Peace asking you at a micro level to move toward this year? All right, let's, let's, let's finish up. Um, one of the songs, I don't know if y'all sang it here, but I'm sure you heard it on the radio, but I think Casting Crowns has done, the, uh, the, to me, the best version of it. It's the, it's the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And the end of it, you know, it kind of has the refrain, peace on earth. Peace on earth, good will to men. Sorry, I'm not a very good singer. But do you know the, do you know the story behind that, that hymn, that song? It was actually a poem written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. We've all heard of him. Uh, he's classically known by his full beard. He just got a huge beard. But do you know why he has a full beard? Because he vowed never to cut it on, after the night that his wife died when he caught her dress on fire with a candle and he, she burned to death in his presence. He didn't cut his beard. And a few years later, his son, who was overwhelmed by the injustice of slavery in America, joined the Union Army and met, met Abraham Lincoln and the forces in the Civil War and was shot in the neck and was paralyzed. And in his grief, Henry Longfellow, wife had died tragically, son was killed, was uh, maimed in the war, all the injustice and death around him. This is what he wrote. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead nor does he sleep, the wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. That makes that song much more powerful, doesn't it? Here's a man singing about peace on earth, goodwill to men amidst unreal grief. Your circumstances don't bring you peace. A prince brings you peace. All right, we're going to come we're going to come to the communion table. I I love ending sermons at the communion table because there's a tangible application to the word preached, the word made flesh. And here it is, here's the connection tonight. When Jesus, when Jesus had risen from the dead, he appeared to, uh, he appeared to his disciples. And you, you can go read it in, Luke, in, in John chapter 20 and in Luke chapter 24. In both places, it says that he appeared in the room, the doors were locked, and he disappeared, which is a great scientific exploration for some of you scientists to do. How does a physical body just appear inside of a room? Uh, quantum physics is going to figure that out for us. But he said, his first words to them were, peace to you. They were terrified. Dude, I saw you dead on a cross three days ago. And here you are in my living room, alive. And he says, peace to you. The Prince of Peace is highly disruptive. And then he says something that is so funny, but has such real application for us. He says, hey. Y'all have anything to eat? 
Y'all got anything to eat? There's two reasons I think this is amazing. One, it's the greatest resurrection apologetic there is. This wasn't a ghost. This wasn't a spirit. This wasn't an ideology. This was a flesh and blood human who was about to consume some fish that was just caught out of the Sea of Galilee to prove I'm alive. So if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're struggling with the resurrection, just know Jesus Christ ate physical fish in the presence of other people eating physical fish, a man who had risen from the dead. But the second thing is, every time he brought that phrase up to the disciples, they remembered the meal. They remembered what he said to them. He said, guys, this is my body given for you. And this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when Jesus was standing before them as the Prince of Peace, telling them, peace to you, they could say, you darn right, there's peace to me. You have been shed your, uh, broken your body and shed your blood for me. And you know as well as I do, 11 of those 12 disciples all suffered martyrdom deaths. How could they do that? Because they believed not in a worldly peace, but in an eternal peace given to them by their Savior, Christ the Lord. Amen? So, uh, Billy and I are going to be down here. This is communion for us. Um, this is one of the most highest privileges to me in the church, is to get up from your seat, testify that that Savior represented in that broken body and that shed blood is my Savior. And he is your Prince of Peace. And so, if this is your faith... This is your table. This is not Billy's table. This is not Lexington Christian Fellowship's table. This is not my table. This table was laid out by the Prince of Peace. And if that's your faith, he says, come. And I hope you, I hope you see that in a new light, that when you take of this, this meal will not satisfy you. It's, this is, again, one of the great paradoxes, right? This meal will not satisfy you. You'll have to go to rallies or Taco Bell or somewhere else after this to really get your stomach filled. But make no mistake about it, this meal will satisfy you eternally because of who is represented here. He is your eternal sustenance. Amen. So, uh, I don't know how y'all normally do it, but Billy and I will be here. Come as you will. Come as you can. Uh, if, you're not, if you're unable to come, we'll bring it to you. But you can take it over from here, brother.